Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 111 is entitled The Story of Creation, Genesis 1-3, through 3, Part 3. Now we move to Genesis Chapter 3. We've already learned that the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil were planted in the garden thus giving Adam and Eve a choice. Two things give mankind agency. One is choice, the other is enticement. The choice is between good and evil. The enticement is between Christ and Satan. We learn from John the Revelator in the book of Revelation that Lucifer was cast out of heaven. Revelation 12 And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This was during the sixth day of creation, before Adam and Eve were formed in the flesh, and the Garden of Eden became their home. Satan decided to continue his war against God on earth, John records. Revelation 12 And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Having lost the war in heaven, Satan's first target on earth, of course, is Adam and Eve. The following is his account from Genesis 3 of his conversation with Eve. Eve is naive and does not recognize Satan, for he appears to her as a serpent. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We learn an extremely important lesson from this. On the one hand, I take literally the idea that Satan used a serpent and that it was no strange thing that the serpent could talk. We only understand the animals of our narrow world. We have no clue of the extraordinary possibilities of all of God's creations. On the other hand, some things have never changed. Satan uses man to be his voice, which is very deceptive. It is only natural that he would use those who only pretend to be religious. It is also true that God uses man frequently to be his voice. From that we may conclude that man has the ability to speak his own mind, to listen to the promptings of God, or to follow the promptings of Satan. It is up to us to discern which spirit is at play, even in our own conversations. To do that we must be able to discern good from evil, God from Satan, as well as the philosophies of a man which may pretend to be of God. The serpent is speaking the words of Lucifer. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. 
Satan, of course, speaks only half-truths. He lies to Eve about not dying, but tells the truth that she will be as the gods, knowing good and evil. Eve, having lived in the Garden of Eden for who knows how long, would have understood little about death, for she had no comparison. There was no death in the Garden of Eden. Death was certainly not something she would be terribly afraid of. Obviously, she studies the fruit for a very long time, and this is probably not her first time contemplating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Notice her own reasoning. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Her thoughts run this way. 1. It is good for food. 2. It was pleasant to the eyes. 3. She desired to be wise. That is very logical. Eve wanted to satisfy her physical appetite, for obviously the fruit was very appealing. It appears that this wasn't the first time she wondered what it tasted like. But Eve had access to all the other fruit trees. This tree, however, offered something else. Eve wanted knowledge. She wanted wisdom. No other tree in the Garden of Eden offered that. And that is why she ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She did not eat it ignorantly. Adam is not there to discuss it with her. Under the influence of Satan, Eve acted independently. After she ate the fruit, her first desire was to give some of the fruit to her husband Adam. Moses continued, And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. A physical change immediately came over both Adam and Eve. Before, they were not ashamed of their nakedness. They didn't know anything else. Before the fall, they had no sexual desire. With the fall came sexual desire, and they felt shame for the first time. And for the first time, they wanted to cover their nakedness. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Obviously, they had visited with the Lord many times before, but for the first time when he called, they hid. They didn't want God to see them naked. Adam and Eve represent all of us. They had very human frailties. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The Lord calls again. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? For the first time, Adam reluctantly answers. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Adam and Eve suddenly have two new feelings. One is desire, the other is fear. They had never hidden from the Lord before. The fall was immediate. Before desire, Adam and Eve could have had no sexual relationships. It would not have been physically possible. It would not have been a sin anyway, for they were husband and wife. But that was irrelevant, seeing that they had no sexual desire before the fall. We can only assume that the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was actually physical fruit that changed the composition of their bodies and made them subject to death for the first time. Death, of course, was not immediate, but entropy was introduced in the Garden of Eden, and their bodies, however slowly from that moment on, began to break down. God, of course, knew what they had done, but Adam and Eve still must confess it. 
It is the first confession, which to the Christian is one of the first steps to repentance. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Adam, unwilling to take responsibility, blames Eve. And the man said, The woman that thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. God turns to Eve. She too must answer for herself. Adam cannot answer for her. Sin is individual. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? Eve blames the serpent. She still does not recognize that the serpent is Satan. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Using the word beguile, Eve understood, even before Adam, the cunning of Lucifer. The Lord then turns to the serpent. Of course, the Lord knows that it is Satan, and the curse he pronounced on Satan is the only thing that protects man from Satan's power. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Notice the children of Adam and Eve will have power to bruise Satan's head. What does that mean? Eve accused the serpent of beguiling her. To beguile her means to mislead, delude, dupe. Fool, take in, deceive, outwit, or distract. By giving Adam and Eve and their posterity the power to bruise Satan's head means they have the power to outwit Satan, to discern his concealments and avoid his deceits if they choose. In other words, Satan can only deceive those who want to be deceived. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 10:13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. However, by allowing Satan the power to bruise mankind's heel means that he may weaken or cripple man, but he can never take his life. All murder is done by man, not Satan. In the curse, Satan's power is severely limited. Temptation is a complex thing. We have agency because we have knowledge of good and evil and because we are enticed by God to do good and enticed by Satan to do evil. Satan is necessary for our agency. That is the only reason God allows Satan on earth. When he is no longer useful, he will be imprisoned. But temptation can also come through the natural man. Like Eve, we give in to our own appetites and passions. And of course, we may be victims of our own ignorance. Adam and Eve, regardless of Satan, were held accountable for their own behavior. Behavior is a complicated thing, Peter warns. 1 Peter 5, 8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The price for our agency, which is protected by God, is very high. It meant that we would sin. When Adam and Eve fell, two terrible things occurred. 
One, they became subjected to physical death, which meant that Adam and Eve and all their posterity would suffer a physical death. Death is when the spirit and the body separate. Physical death was permanent. Man could not reverse the curse. Two, Adam and Eve and all their posterity would suffer a spiritual death. Spiritual death is when man is cut off from the presence of God. It was a permanent state. Neither Adam nor Eve nor any of their posterity had any power over temporal and spiritual death. Fallen man could not reverse the curse because of the law of justice. Justice is not merciful, and justice is not forgiven, and justice cannot be compromised. It was fixed. It was absolute. If God ceased to be a God of justice, he would cease to be God. God is only God because he is perfectly just. Justice is uncompromising. God lives in a world of absolutes where compromise, reconciliation, propitiation, or negotiation are not possible. That creates the greatest paradox in Christianity, the battle between the law of justice and the law of mercy. Every Christian must understand both justice and mercy. It is Satan's great delight to confuse the two. Justice had to be satisfied, or justice has no meaning. It is the law of justice that makes God, God. It is the law of justice that prevents chaos from taking over. That is why it was necessary for Christ to die for our sins. He alone, being the Son of God, lived a perfect life. Therefore, he was able to atone for our sins, himself being sinless. He did not compromise the law of justice. He satisfied the law of justice by offering his life for ours. Christ suffered for our sins. Christ cleansed us with his blood. That is how God became both a just God and a merciful God. Rather than become subject to the law of justice, we became subject to the law of mercy. Because of the fall, we cannot live the law of justice but we can live the law of mercy. Justice, however, placed certain conditions on the law of mercy. Those conditions are taught especially in the New Testament, but throughout the Holy Bible. The Ten Commandments, for example, are conditions placed on the law of mercy. The two great commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of the apostles and prophets, and so on, are conditions placed on the law of mercy. We must meet those conditions or justice would be robbed. God did not allow Adam to blame Eve, and God did not allow Eve to blame Satan. He cursed them both. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. God turned to Adam. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. Adam and Eve are reconciled. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. God was not content with the fig leaves, so he made more suitable clothing, suggesting that modesty is a commandment of God. 
Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins, and clothed them. Then God does a peculiar thing. He ejects them from the Garden of Eden. To understand why is to better understand the atonement of Christ. They were no longer barred from the tree of knowledge, but it was absolutely necessary that they be removed from the tree of life. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Before the fall they could eat the fruit of the tree of life, but were forbidden to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. After the fall they were forbidden to eat of the fruit of the tree of life, but not forbidden to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? The fruit of the tree of life would have given them immortality, which means they would not die. Besides contradicting God that they must die, they would have remained on earth under Satan's power forever. Had they eaten the fruit of the tree of life after the fall, they never could have overcome spiritual death. They never could die. They never could be resurrected and they never could return to the presence of God. Death is one of the greatest gifts of God because it allows the resurrection. It allows the atonement of Christ. It allows us, through the mercy of Christ, to return to live with God with an immortal, resurrected body. Without death, there could be no resurrection. Without the resurrection, there could be no atonement. Without the atonement, there could be no eternal life with God. Had Adam and Eve never eaten the forbidden fruit, they would have remained in an innocent state in the Garden of Eden forever. They could have no children, therefore we would not be here. They would have never understood good and evil. They would never have had agency. They would never have gained experience. They would never have joy because they knew no sorrow. They would never have fulfilled the purposes of God, and that was to help us to become more like him. The price of becoming more like Christ is life on earth in its fallen state. Christ anticipated everything, and through his atonement, he has the power to save everyone who invites him, who repents, who keeps his commandments, and who endures to the end. Christ introduced the ability to repent only because death was introduced. That was the plan from the beginning, but it had to be Adam and Eve's choice, just as it has to be our choice. Agency is at the core of everything that God does for man. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.